I have a tendency to preach topically. I've kind of got tired of that. And I want to begin to preach uh, expositorily, if you will, which simply means it goes through a passage of Scripture uh, almost, but not quite, depending on the way I feel about it, I guess, uh, verse by verse, and sticks with a passage of Scripture. And so I want to go verse by verse through um, John 14 as we make our way from this time of the year up to the season of Lent, which starts somewhere in the beginning of March, I believe, so don't quote me on that. But I'm looking at six or seven um, sermons out of uh, John chapter 14. John 14, as many of you well know, is part of what's called the Upper Room Discourse of Jesus. It's kind of, uh, when you look at John, it's kind of uh, unique to see that uh, his gospel is quite different from the other three gospel writers who tell their story right along um, not sequentially, I want to say, but timing-wise, they just move it along and pattern it after the movements of Jesus. John, however, is different in that regard in that the first 12 chapters focus, focus on Jesus' ministry for the first two and a half, three years of his ministry, as do the other four Gospels. But then beginning with chapter 13, John narrows it down, and he's talking solely from chapter 13, clear through the end of the book, of what occurs on what we call Monday Thursday, when Jesus had uh, the first communion with his disciples in that upper room. Therefore, it's known as the upper room discourse. So um, that whole last half of the Gospel of John focuses on three days. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, well, and the resurrection on Sunday, so four days. So it's kind of different in that regard. It's kind of unique and it's interesting. And John, who was part of that time, of course, remembered much of what Jesus said on that last night in that upper room. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 14 for the next six weeks or so and picking out of that what is um, very appropriate and uh, will be meaningful, I hope and pray, and an encouragement for all of our lives. With that said, let me read for you the first six verses of John chapter 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. You believe in God. Some versions you might be looking at right now, some of you are looking at your phone and following the scriptures. Some of them say, you trust in God, you believe in God. Now believe, that is, trust also in me. For I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I will come back and get you and take you to be with me so that we will be together forever. And you know this way where I'm going. Let me stop there just for a second on that word way. It's the Greek word hados. It can be translated either way or just as easily the word road. R-O-A-D, road. And some translations indeed have it as Jesus saying, you know the road where I'm going. Which might explain better the way Thomas responds when he says, Lord, we don't know the way or we don't know that road, so how are we going to get where you're going? And then Jesus responds with one of his most famous and memorized and comforting verses of Scripture. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. 
Again, we might translate that what Jesus said, I am the road and the truth and the life. And for all intents and purposes, the words way and road are the same. I just thought it was worth passing that on to you for your enjoyment this morning. (laughs) The road. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to me except through the Father. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for this, your word, and pray that it will be a comfort for all of us today that there might be hope here, that there might be a home, that is, for troubled hearts. And so help us to um, think about our troubles, but let us also think about our troubles in light of who you are and what you promise us. For in that way, we will be indeed filled with hope. And so we pray this prayer as always in the name of Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. Amen. As we come to John 14, we come to one of the most beloved chapters in the Bible. Ranking right up there with Psalm 23 or Luke 15, Romans chapter 8. Or what's your favorite chapter in the Bible? Anybody want to get in on this? Corinthians 13? 16. Corinthians. Great. Anybody else have a favorite chapter of the Bible? Psalm what? All of them. All 150, huh? (laughs) I'm telling you, Cassie, it was an honor having you in that class. Well, John 14 ranks right up there with a lot of the favorite chapters of the Bible, and it's not hard to see why. When you look at the headings that you know, various translations have uh, for, the, for this chapter, and this one says, Jesus, the way to the Father. Uh, the New American Standard Bible says, Jesus comforts his disciples. Uh, Comfort for troubled hearts is another heading, and hope for troubled hearts is yet another one. Uh, so it's not hard to see that this is why it's one of the most beloved chapters in the Bible. And of course, all those headings take their cue from the very first verse, let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. The disciples, they were troubled. Jesus speaks to them the word they needed to hear. In order to properly understand Jesus' words, we need to context them by going back into John chapter 13. Listen to what's going on, and you'll see why they needed calmed down. Beginning with verse 33, Jesus speaking, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. He's been telling them throughout this gospel, as indeed the other three gospels, for some time that he's going to go to a cross, that he's going to be killed, crucified. He's been telling them that. He's also been sharing with them about his coming resurrection. They are very slow on the uptake. They just don't want to accept the idea that he indeed is going to die Because for them, a dead Messiah is a contradiction in terms. So they keep refusing to believe it. And he's been telling that all along. But here now, imagine this. You're one of Jesus' followers. You're in the upper room. You've discovered this guy who spoke like no other person has ever spoken to you before. You sense the love, the deep abiding love that he has for you. There is a certain joy that you have each day when you get up and you think, I'm going to get to hang out with Jesus again today, and I can't wait to see what's going to happen. It's going to be so exciting. 
And then you're hearing these words. I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you cannot come where I am going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the whole world that you're my disciples. Those little verses there could easily be drawn out and preach a whole sermon or three on that loving one another. That's not the part I want to emphasize now because he goes back in here. Actually, Simon Peter asks the question, the obvious question. He's ignoring the part about the love, you see. Peter doesn't care about that loving one another at this time. He's more concerned about where the Lord's going. Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come with you now, Lord, Peter says. I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. See why their hearts were troubled? They've come to know Jesus. He says, I'm going away. Why can't I go where you're going? Can't you see I'm ready to give up my life for you? And to add insult to injury, Jesus tells Peter, you can't only go where I'm, you can't go where I'm going. And it's almost like he's saying, you're not even worthy to go where I'm going. It's no wonder their hearts are troubled. It's no wonder their hearts are troubled. Twenty-first century Christians' hearts are troubled, too. There's an old, wise pastor, 19th century. His name was Joseph Parker, famous for one line. There's a broken heart in every pew. There's a broken heart in every pew, Joseph Parker said so many years ago. And isn't it true? All of us have troubles. All of us have heart, heartaches. It may be true that like the disciples, we could be suffering what psychologists and psychiatrists would call today um, anxiety separation, or separation anxiety. I can't remember which one it is. You know what I'm talking about, though. It's when you are separated from one that you have come to love very much. Separation anxiety. And it could be true that some of us have troubled hearts today because we have been separated from someone that we have come to love very much. That's probably true of all of us in this room to a greater degree or lesser. All of us. Some of us may be troubled, I don't know. We might have separation anxiety because... Perhaps we know that our time is coming sooner than we want when we are going to be separated from someone we've come to love and they're not going to be able to follow us. I don't know. And of course it's true for all kinds of lesser reasons that many of us are in here today with troubled hearts. With troubled hearts. I don't know what you're facing right now. But there comes a time in a person's life when we must trust that which we cannot prove and accept that which we cannot understand. And if in our darkest hours we believe that somehow, somewhere, there is a purpose in life and that that purpose is bound up 
with the love of God through Jesus Christ, then even the unbearable can become bearable. We're talking about the hope that Jesus instilled in the life of his disciples that day. That hope that they sorely needed because their hearts were troubled. So I was thinking, I remember this time when I was just a little boy. I don't know, I'd have to ask my mom how old I was at the time. Maybe four or five years old. And she was taking me and my second, my second brother, he was younger than me, and um, we were making a trip to Lima, Ohio, where my mother and father lived, and we were taking in a train. It was my first train ride. And I think we got the train in Cleveland, and we were going out west to Lima. And I remember very distinctly being on that train, and of course, first time on a train ride, I'm inside the car, and there's these windows on the side, of course, and I want to see where it's going, where we're going. Wouldn't you want to do the same thing? And so I got my head against that window, kind of watching where we're going, though when you're in a train, you can't see very well, right? You can only see what's off to the side. And I remember very distinctly seeing a, a, a river or a lake or some kind of body of water coming up, and I'm thinking to myself, how in the heck are we going to get over that? And the train gets closer and closer and closer to the river, and I'm just, I remember being very frightened and looking down as, as the water went underneath. It was like the train was a magic carpet ride. <laughs> and we just went right over it. This, apparently, it wasn't one of those bridges where they have all the infrastructure above. It was one of the ones where the infrastructure's below. And you can't see anything. All you see when you're looking out a train car, when you're going over a bridge, is the water down below. And for a little five-year-old boy, it's like, man, we're flying. <laughs> and we went across that water, and I said, Mom, did you see that? How in the heck did we get across there? And she probably said something like, you knucklehead, there was, a, there was a bridge there. We just went across the bridge. I don't know. So she said, watch it again next time. So I keep watching out the scent. Sure enough, for too long, there's another river. And I start to get anxious again a little bit, and I see it coming closer and closer. And then right over, well, there it goes. Can't see anything, but somehow we just flew over that river. And after the third or the fourth time experiencing that, I began to sit back in my seat and relax because I knew that somebody had built bridges all the way to Lima for us. And that could be like life sometimes. Sometimes there's rivers ahead and we don't know how we're going to get across them. But when we learn to trust in and rely on Jesus the Christ, our Heavenly Father, God, we will find that he has built bridges across those troubled waters that it will get us all the way to heaven. To heaven. And that's what Jesus wants to talk about with his dudes. And that's what I want to continue talking about with you guys, my dudes. <laughs> let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. You trust in God, now trust also in me. And since those verbs are in the present tense imperative, it should be translated, keep on. You keep on trusting in me. You trust in God, keep on trusting in me. In other words, he's implying that you can build that trust over time. It's just not a one-time thing. Okay, I'll trust Jesus. I mean, that's kind of the way at the beginning when you decide I'm going to trust that Jesus died for my sins, but the trust doesn't end there. You and I are invited to continue to read the Bible, grow in our faith, and continue to keep on trusting God. He says we can trust him because he's going to prepare a place for us. Now, I got to thinking about that this week, 
I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's really not going to prepare the place in heaven because it already says in verse 2, there are many mansions or many dwelling places or many rooms already in heaven. He doesn't have to prepare the rooms. So what the heck is he preparing? And I want to share with you what he's preparing is the way. He's preparing the road. He's preparing the way to heaven when he says that. I'm going to the cross, in other words, is what he's saying. I'm going to prepare the way for you to go to heaven. It's the cross that's going to get us there. It's the cross. In the Gospel of John, I want to tell you for sure that the cross is the heart and soul of the entire book. The cross and the subsequent resurrection together. They are the heart and the soul of the book of John. His death upon the cross is not seen as being orchestrated by the Jewish Pharisees nor the Roman soldiers as a way of snuffing out his life. Neither is the cross seen by the Gospel writer John as Satan's clever way to use his pawn, Judas, to foil the plans of God. No, no, no. Make no mistake about it. The, John, the Gospel of John refers to the death and resurrection of Jesus as the glorification of Jesus over and over again. It's the glorification. Jesus says, now I'm going to enter into my glory with the cross. He's going to prepare the way, and it's going to happen on the cross. For the cross is the crown jewel that holds the preeminent place above all else. Because it's the cross that's not only going to empower Jesus to return to his heavenly Father, it's the cross that's going to enable you and I to return to our heavenly Father. It's the cross. There's an old hymn that was written by a lady by the name of Jessie Pounds. She was an Ohio girl, born and raised in Hiram, before she moved to Cincinnati and met a pastor and married him down there in Cincinnati, uh, Reverend Pounds. Her name was Jessie then Pounds, who became a songwriter, a hymn writer. And in 1906, she wrote a hymn called The Way of the Cross Leads Home. The Way of the Cross Leads Home. Speculation is that she wrote that hymn as a result of a prominent story that was circulating in the newspapers around the world that originated in London. In fact, in the heart of London, which is called Charing Cross, or people who live in London simply refer to it as the cross. You, get, you got that? Now, Charing Cross is a geographical location in the heart of London. And the story went that a little boy began wandering around in that complicated streets of London there and became lost and could not find his way back home. <clears throat> Finally, he came across, the, they call him Bobby's over there, the English policeman, and the, he was crying and all, and the policeman said, well, give me your address and I'll get you back home. And the boy couldn't come up with his address. And he, they talked and talked, and finally the little boy said, if you'll just lead me to the cross, I think I'll find my way home. And that story began to make its way around the world on the newspapers of the day. And little Jesse Pounds saw it in Cincinnati, said, I think that'd make a great hymn, and sat down and wrote these words, the first verse in the chorus. I must needs go by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall ne'er get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. The way of the cross leads home. 
The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know, as I onward go, that the way of the cross leads home. When Jesus said to his guys, I'm going to prepare a way, I'm going to prepare the road for you, surely he's talking about preparing for the cross. First point, we need to trust God. Keep on trusting that he's prepared the way for us to go home through the power of the cross. Secondly, we need to trust that there is room for all who wish to come by way of the cross. There is room for all. Jesus said there are many rooms. I hear a phone again this morning. I think I'm hearing a phone. Oh, it's a toy. Sorry. So secondly, I might get back to where I was, we need to trust that there's a place for all who wish to come by way of the cross. There's many rooms in my Father's house, Jesus said. Our homes have only so many occupants in them. Only so many people fit in our home. Last summer, um, Gail went to Florida, I think, and I had five of my grandchildren in our home. Did you know that? This is true confession time. I figure in church you'll forgive me. I had five of my grandchildren running all over our home, and that was too many people in my home just with five of them. Five grandchildren can really get around. By code, this sanctuary can only hold, I don't know, it's on that sign back there. It's either 215 or 250 people. Even hotels at times fill up and have to display a no vacancy sign, but there will need no such sign in heaven that says no vacancy. Heaven is as wide as God's love, and there is room for all who would come by way of the cross. There's room for all. The door is open. The light is on. The pillow is fluffed. And the covers are turned down. For any would-be struggler, troubled person who's on this tumultuous earth and who someday will go to heaven by way of the cross. Jesus mentions that there's room for all. Next, Jesus mentions that he's going to take us to a place that we can call home. We can call home. We can call it home because he's going to be there. Did you get that? It's going to be home because Jesus is going to be there. I watched a video yesterday of that kid named uh, Colton Burpee. Um, Colton Burpee, who died and went to heaven, and there was a book written by him and his father uh, 10 years ago. I watched a video of him yesterday talking about being in heaven and meeting Jesus. And Colton at the time was four or five years old. He had a mom and dad at home. He was living at home. And he talks in this video about how he had found home in heaven because he was with Jesus. And there was something that just grasped his heart about who Jesus was and the love that he was feeling. And he told Jesus, I don't want to go back to the other home. I'm home right here. Jesus is preparing a place for us that in every sense of the world can be called home, first of all, because he is going to be there. And we need to trust that the heavenly home will far exceed 
any kind of a home that we've ever experienced on this planet. And I know I'm talking to a group of people who've experienced wonderful home lives. You remember what it was like growing up with your moms and your dads and your brothers and sisters. And you would say it was wonderful. You had a thrilling home life. But I'm here to tell you now that however good that home life was, what we're going to get in heaven is going to be a thousand times better than the home life that we have here on earth. Don't ask me to explain it. Just trust it. Just trust it. I love Johnny Ortberg great pastor of a Presbyterian church out in California. And in this book, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. I love that title. He's got a wonderful story in here that I think applies right now. And if you'll permit me, I'd just like to read this story to you. Hang with me here. Our first two children were girls. When they were very young, they were quite sure they wanted to live in our home forever. Leaving sounded awful to them. They would sometimes ask, when I grow up, can I still live here with you and mommy? And it was no use trying to tell them that the day would come when they would want to leave. Not that home isn't wonderful, but the day would come when they would be grown up. And perhaps they would fall in love and want to have their own home and family. It wasn't any use telling them such things because they simply could not believe that there would ever be a man in their life whom they would think is bigger or smarter or more handsome and they were very small, or when they could have as much love as their daddy did. They just couldn't believe it, and frankly, it sounded kind of far-fetched to me, he says. <laughs> In spite of that, I knew that the day would come, not today, not tomorrow, but someday, when they would be all grown up, and somewhere, somehow, the day would come when they would see him. And then they would understand. What they saw through a glass darkly, they would then see face to face, and my little girl would come to me and say, in the way that grown-up girls do, Daddy, he is my destiny. I was meant for him. Being a very wise daddy then, if the man is good enough and kind enough, and if my daughter is old enough, say 45 or so, <laughs> I would say, this is the moment. This is the union about which I prayed since before you were born. Enter into life and love and joy. And then Ortberg applies it and says, The Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is the story of a groom who awaits his bride. Right now you may not want to leave this place, but the day will come, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but the day will come when we will be fully grown and we will see him and then we will understand. And then the one whom we glimpse now only through a glass darkly, we will experience face to face and we will gasp at his beauty and we will know that he is our destiny and that we were meant for him. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare this place and when I come back and get you, I'll take you to be with me so that we'll be together forever. He's preparing a place we can call home because he's going to be there. And lastly, he's preparing a place that we can call home because I believe that we will once again see some very special other people. Now, to be sure, that isn't included in the text today, but it's written in other places in the Bible where we are going to a place that we will call home because we will indeed encounter other people who have been very special to us on this earth. Many of us have had the experience of living far away from home. 
as our work takes us to a distant place. And we're looking forward for a long time to going home. Anybody in this room ever move away from home and you're, you, know, you only get to go back once in a while and you know what it's like to look forward to going back again? Suzanne, Boston. Anybody else in this room? Thelma, thank you. Where are you from? The Philippines. God bless you. These people know what it's like to long to go home again. I mentioned my mother was born and raised in Lima, Ohio. She married my father after he graduated from Ohio Northern University, and they moved to the little village of Mogador where my dad was raised. My mom wasn't really thrilled about moving. Back then it was a four-hour car trip from Mogador to Lima before they had double four-lane highways and all. And my mom wasn't thrilled about moving that far away from her parents, four hours. My dad was a pharmacist, and he didn't work for a chain drugstore. He worked for an individual owner. And when he went for that work for that owner, Herb Bumpus told him, um, I'm only going to give you every other weekend off. You'll have every other Saturday and Sunday off. And those were his weekends off. And so it was only maybe once every six months, sometimes it was a whole year, before my dad and mom would make the plans to go down to Lima to make the four-hour journey to go to Lima and to be reunited again with her mother and her father, my nana and my papa. And I remember when my mom or dad say, okay, kids, we're going to be going to Lima soon. And because we were thrilled, because we loved our nana and papa, it was thrilling for us. All right, we're going to make the journey down to Lima. And we began to count down the days and then the hours before we would leave. And my dad would come home from work Friday night at 10 o'clock and we'd all talk about, okay, we're going to get up Saturday morning and get in the car and make that four-hour journey down there. And we'd get in the car and my mom would get out all these puzzle games for us to play with along the way because we could be rather cantankerous in the car if we weren't entertained and didn't have iPads and all that stuff back then. Anyway, we would look forward to going down Route 30, and I could name the towns, Mansfield, Crestline, Bucyrus, Upper Sandusky, and with each town, we knew we were getting closer and closer to where we wanted to be. And I can still remember going into Lima and passing Schoonover Park, where there was a place that we'd go swimming occasionally, and we turned um, down Grand Avenue and make our way four blocks north and hooked a right on Murphy Avenue, went by old Doc Whistler's drugstore. My dad would turn left on Ewing Avenue, and we'd go down that and we'd look at the houses, and he would nuzzle up to the curb at 654 Ewing Avenue. And we would notice as we came up to the curb that there was my Nana and Papa. They were up there on that front porch swing, swinging back and forth, couldn't wait till we get there. As soon as they saw us coming down, nuzzling up to the curb, we saw them getting up off that swing, and they would come down those steps and down that sidewalk and open the door for us kids to get out of the back seat. They were so surprised and pleased to have us home. And my mom would get out of the car and hug her mom and dad again because she had come back home. Death can be regarded as a similar journey. It could be regarded as a similar journey. Loved ones have gone before. And someday Jesus is going to come and get us, take us back to where he is, and there's going to be a grand reunion. 
And at that destination, we're going to find the people that were important to us. And it's going to be a place that we can be called, that can be called home in every sense of the word. So my friends, let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. You trust God. Trust now also in Christ, for he's going to prepare a place for all of us. And when everything's ready, he'll come back and get us and take us to be where he is so that we'll be together with him forever. And we know the place where he's going because he is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Christ. Those are the words that comfort troubled hearts today. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've created a place called home. It's heaven. And no matter what befalls us in this life, we can get over those bridges of murky water below because we know that you've got the next life taken care of. And so in the meantime, until you call us to be with you, O Lord, Help us to continue to place our trust in you. Help us to keep reading the scriptures and praying to you and being encouraged by you and worshiping you so that our trust will grow. For as our trust grows, so our hearts are filled more and more with hope. So we thank you for this opportunity to come to you by way of the cross. I pray, by the way, Lord, for any person in this room who's never made that decision yet, that you would use these moments that they might reach out to you and realize that it's the way of the cross by which we go home, the way of the cross. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.